speaker wishes to stop early before 6.20 p.m., she may do so, and we will open the meeting for questions. As a reminder, please be aware that if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the Light a Candle podcast. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kate D. Goodness. Okay. Hi, I'm Kate, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Kate. It's really good to be here tonight. I haven't shared at this meeting for a couple of years, I think. Um, let's fix this. Okay. I'm nervous, and I've, I've been here for 12 years, and I'm still nervous every time I share at any meeting, whether it's recorded or not. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really I'm thankful to be here. Thank you, Jen, for asking me to get up here. Um, I am almost in my third trimester with my second pregnancy, so I might have to sit down at some point so you guys will see me maybe moving a little bit um but in my just before I came up I was just saying God 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 I mean I've really learned how to tap into my higher power um, since coming into the rooms and for me this program is it is a spiritual solution it's all about it's a spiritual program of, um, of action and I need my higher power every day for everything because I life is just too big and too scary, um, which is why I used, used food and um, used exercise for, for decades before I came in, because um, life was just too much for me. So now that I have tools and I have this higher power, I can show up for things like this, even when I really didn't want to. I remember when Jen texted me, and I was like, oh, gosh, can I be out of town? Can I, you know, can there be something big that comes up so I don't have to do it? And it's just so cute, because I've, I've done this a couple times. I didn't die the first couple times I, I showed up for speaking to light a candle and um but it's just that fear of um the fears that, that plague me and that brought me to my knees in the room just fear of not being enough fear that I'm yeah fear of not getting your approval um fear that I'm going to look foolish um just just those those deep fears of um obsessing with what people think and all that stuff so um yeah so I'm thankful to be here and I'm just asking that God would make me a channel um, that could be of maximum service and I love that I have a I'm pregnant with another girl and I love that she can her her ears are developed enough where she can hear me as I talk so that's pretty sweet um, so okay so what it was like um, and and happy birthday happy birthday happy birthday Jody where she went and congrats to the tip takers um, so what it was like okay so so, like many of us in the rooms, I remember all of the events growing up um, based on the food that was served. So, yeah, my birthdays, I, you know, I just remember what was served at the family holidays, and I remember just wanting more. And, yeah, I don't really remember connecting with my cousins or with family members, but I remember what I was eating. And um, I come from a family where there's very much an idol of beauty and we will do we will do whatever we need to do to subscribe to that idol of beauty to hit the mark that we think we need to hit um, to look a certain way and so you know what that looked like in my family was was plastic surgery and um, 
out of the however many women there are in my family, I don't know, maybe 15 or so, I think 90% um, of us had done plastic surgery before the age of 25. Um, so that's where I come from, is an obsession with beauty. And the standard of beauty was <clears throat> you can't be too thin, you can't be too blonde. Um, and then a side note, you can't be too rich. <laughs> so, so, that's, so that's where I come from. So it was this really, now I can see just this set of beliefs, um, a belief system that I really got to lay down through doing step work in here. But um, it was, and it can still be really deeply ingrained in me. And just a little example, even just leaving the house tonight, I chose to take a nap this afternoon rather than go get a pedicure. And I looked down, I can't leave the meeting with chipped toes, you know, like, that's not perfect. And I, and I was like, that's, you know, that's cute. Um, but I have this checklist in my mind just growing up in the house that I did. of like, you got to, you know, you got to look, got to have all these boxes checked before you can show up uh, for anything and be seen by anyone. Um, so it's very much, so I grew up in a, in a loving home, but, you know, we had our dysfunction like every family. And there really was this, I mean, I'm so acutely aware of it today, just this, um, just a lot of comments around how other people look, a lot of comments about how we look. Um, thankfully, there are a lot of babies in the family now, so the attention is now diverted to the babies and less on, you know, what we all look like, so that's been a real gift. Um, and, but yeah, so so growing up, so from a young age, this is a big part of my story, I got my first, I had my first plastic, plastic surgery at, well, 12 going on 13, and um, and I look back and I have so much compassion for myself, um, but it was you know I was told I had my my grandfather's nose, and um, that was not a good thing in the family. Um, so had my first nose job at you know before going into high school, and um, it was that, and I shared that um, because it really so much shame came from that. Such a deep deep belief that I wasn't enough as I was, that I had to get surgery to be okay, because I started getting a lot of attention from boys in high school, and I was really into um, getting good grades and into sports and dance and singing, and then once I got that surgery, I started drinking a lot in high school, and I started uh, messing with my food, and the binges started, and so it was really fascinating how that, that was a tipping point for me, just going, entering high school, and I started, you know, acting out, um, I was, I started being promiscuous, and <clears throat> It just breaks my heart. I would, you know, my, I would leave dressed one way, and then I, as soon as I would get out of the car, it's like I would roll up my skirt, and you know, it was like this whole other. It was like I was. I, I've come to call myself Katie Girl, kind of before that period, and that's you know, how God sees me, just so pure and just as as He intended me to be. And then after that, I can just see how wow, my my um, body dysmorphia really kicked off from there. And and granted, it also was tied into puberty and adolescence and all that. But um, I wish I could say that was the last surgery, but going through high school, used food and drinking and attention from boys um, wildly. And then when I graduated, and granted, I maintained grades and maintained sports and all that stuff, so I got into a good school. Um, but it was just, I, I was just such a shell looking back and just was so concerned with, what do you think about me? What do you, and I, and there was this whole story that my family came up with why I came to school with a new nose at freshman year because I was at the same school 7th through 12th grade. So I was like, oh, there was this whole story that they came up with. So then I was lying about it. That was the worst part. It was like, you can't actually tell people that you had cert, you know, you have to come up with this whole lie. So I literally, I told that story so many times that when I came to the rooms 12 years ago, 
and I told my um, sponsor, you know, through doing step work, the actual truth, I, it was so scary because I had so much, there was so much unnecessary shame wrapped around it because of how it had been handled by the family. Um, but I'll fast forward to graduating from um, high school. I, so I, I played sports right after getting the surgery, which is insanity that that happened. So I was hit a lot with the ball on my face. So I got another surgery when I was 17 because I'd actually broken my nose at that point. And then they messed up my nose, and it looked like my grandfather's again. So then three months later, I had to get another surgery right before going to university and, and playing at a D1 school um, for a sport. Um, and we were, yeah, so I went. I had the surgery a couple weeks. I mean, this is just the insanity of just that chase for beauty that was so ingrained in me. So I got to enter a university with, the, with you know, the perfect face. And so I... I entered and I went into this intense conditioning camp for two weeks with the sport that I was playing and of course got, you know, hit in the face many times with the ball and, you know, and, and that's the nose that I have today and that was, I don't know, however many years ago, like 16 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and so I was pressured by my family for years after that to get another nose job. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't even care if it's crooked, I don't care. I mean, I can barely breathe out of the right side of it from, from that, the last time when I was 17 and I just don't even care. <clears throat> So I really got to lay down that just obsession with perfection or whatever that idea of perfection is um, coming here. And yeah, so just so that that really helps you understand of just the insanity um, that brought me on my knees. Because um, shortly after graduating from, from university, I, was, I drank a lot in college, quit the sport after a year. Um, used to it a lot, but it was always really intertwined with alcohol. I never needed to qualify for, for that program. Um, I was able to put it down when I got abstinent, but I, there was there was a real um, just relationship between food and, and alcohol for me. And yeah, a lot of just, ooh, just painful, painful memories throughout college of, of using substances um, and, and really hating myself. I mean, I remember there were so many mornings when I would wake up from the night before and just, you know, I'd have, I'd be stained with, you know, burritos and I'd have like wrappers on the floor next to me and I didn't even remember eating them and, um, and just, just feeling like I couldn't see anyone for a couple of days because I needed to work off the weight. And, and I, I started, um, training and running marathons in college to keep the weight off because I was so scared of, um, showing what I was doing of, of the food showing. Um, so that so that really kicked off exercise bulimia that I had I had danced with a little bit in high school. I remember having big meals at home after you know playing a sport for hours. So naturally I'd be hungry, but then I was so uncomfortable with being full and so afraid that I would gain weight that I would go and walk for a couple hours at night around the neighborhood. I'm like, it's crazy to my. I mean we lived in the same place, but yeah, it's just my. And I remember my parents couldn't stop me. I was just no matter what I was like I have to just get rid of that. So. I was never able to make myself sick, so I would literally just move as much as I thought I needed to. <clears throat> um, so fast forward to me graduating university, and I was 20, I think, three when I hit my first bottom. And I mean, it was just it was just a good old binge. It wasn't anything crazy. I just I'm so thankful. I you know it takes what it takes. We here, and I, I I just I hit a bottom. Um, I came home for a night's dinner with my family and um, 
I would come home after social situations where I had anxiety, bless you. I'm, I'm actually a person where I'm nervous in all social situations I've learned today, even though people think I'm not going. Um, but I, I found that looking back, I've always had anxiety, whether it's in a familiar family situation or in a new business development situation. I always have anxiety, which is why my higher power is so clutch in every moment. But um, when I started drinking and using food as a teenager, that just you know just got bigger and bigger. So this one night, right before I came to the rooms, I had a nice family dinner. It was my mom's birthday, my grandma's birthday. I then cleared everyone's desserts, just ate everything after the dinner, just, I don't know, just because. I was probably having feelings about fear of not being enough. Um, and I came home, and what I would do is I would then get into you know, cereals, nut butters, whatever, and I would just stand up in the dark and just eat standing up just to kind of numb out because all the, all the lies of, you weren't enough, you shouldn't have said this, why do you say this, and I would just stand there in the dark and just, just pray and my roommate wouldn't come out. Um, her room was on the first floor, I was on the second floor. <clears throat> and I would just, until I felt sick, I would just eat and then I would go up and go to bed. And then the next day I would wake up and I would work out as long as I thought I needed to. But I did not have the resolve that mor- next morning to work out. <clears throat> and I'd been up most of the night actually lying part of the night I was lying by the toilet hoping I would get sick because I felt so full and the next morning I was like, this is it just kind of just had that first a god moment of huh I think this is abnormal behavior I was sleeping by the toilet half the night <laughs> I was by myself I wasn't over drinking I wasn't partying I was like this even that wouldn't be good either but um so yeah so I just had this thought that was higher than my thoughts um it was a god thought to Google compulsive eating, and um, OA came up, and I went to a meeting that night and heard my story with the person who shared, and then I've been coming back for the last 12 years. So um, so what it was like, what happened? So what happened was that I became desperate, and I was willing to go to any length once I realized that there was this treasure trove of serenity here, and that there was a new way of living, of, what do we say, a new way of living, a way of acting on life rather than reacting to it. And so I started my journey. I got a sponsor, gosh, a month after I was here. And um, I don't even know how much more, I mean, maybe, well, now that I'm pregnant, I don't even know what my weight is, but when I'm not pregnant, I was maybe anywhere from 20, maybe even 40 pounds heavier than I am now when I'm not pregnant. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even sure, yeah, I'm not sure. But I, I mean, I just had a complete spiritual transformation. The physical stuff, yes, but complete spiritual transformation through surrendering my life to this program 12 years ago. Um, I did whatever my sponsor told me to do, and we'd go to her house, we'd read from the big book, um, started working the steps, and shortly after, a lot of sponsors will say, don't make any big decisions in your first year of abstinence or while you're working the 12 steps. Um, I My sponsor did not tell me that, but if she had, I probably wouldn't have listened, because I ended up moving to the other side of the world, um, gosh, maybe five months after being in the rooms, and just had such a peace and conviction about it at the time, and I remember holding my big book on the plane, and started, I, I, I think there was a lot of escapism going on too, which I couldn't have articulated that at the time, but I went to, I quit my job, I was going to grad school, and moved to this place to go to um, Southeast Asia to go to grad school and to and to work, and started an OA meeting over there, um, 
met a Scottish sponsor who we're still dear friends and in touch. She's, she's back in Scotland now. But she took me through. So I, I worked maybe up to step three with my sponsor in L.A. And then when I moved abroad, um, it took me a couple months to find that sponsor. And so I, I was so – but I my, my level of willingness was such a gift because – when we didn't, there wasn't an OA meeting first, my first couple months there, so I'd go to a meeting um, for all addictions, and I had to, it took an hour to get there on um, public transportation, and it, I was the only, let's just say I was the only blonde, I was the only girl, um, until my sponsor moved there, and everyone else had different kinds of addictions that, um, a lot of them had just gotten out of prison, like it was, it was a different kind of vibe than Santa Monica. <laughs> Um, so, but I, you know, I would share and I would cheapestly share about my, you know, stuff for the day. And, um, but I was just desperate and I knew I was like, this is, I got to be by the big book. So then Scottish sponsor appeared, started a meeting. We had maybe the biggest it got was maybe six people. And I just worked the program and fearlessly and thoroughly the next two years went through the 12 steps and my life completely, completely changed. And Oh, I just, I can't even say enough about the 12 steps. My foundation for my life is my higher power and the 12 steps in the big book. And I, the freedom, I'll never forget turning over all of my deep, deep, dark, dark, really scary secrets that had me literally in bondage with this shame that was just like a straitjacket. And I, I remember she said at the end of reading step, um, doing step five, uh, turning over my step four, she said, is there anything else? And I was just like, oh, I got two more things came to me. I was like, oh my God, I don't even, I can't say these things to her. And I did. And I just felt this, just 20 pounds came off of me. I swear, I just turned over this stuff that um, happened probably 10 years earlier that um, I, I thought I wouldn't tell anyone that I thought I would just take to the grave because it was so humiliating. And she was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, just just the unconditional love that I got from that woman. I just can't say enough about sponsorship and, you know, finding a sponsor who um, who, who has what you want and uh, have always chosen sponsors who have freedom, who have um, quality recovery, who have a great relationship with a higher power, and who have healthy relationships. So, yeah, so working through the 12 steps completely, I, had, I got to experience a spiritual awakening that we're promised in here. And slowly everything started changing. My relationship with exercise, my relationship with my with myself, my relationship with my higher power, my relationship with my family. I found I needed another program because um, of the dysfunction in my relationships with my with my mother, with men I dated. So I went into an, another program for that. Discovered my mom had been my higher power. Um, discovered my codependency. Just all all of the colors that make up me. I. I learned to look at them without feeling ashamed and to embrace them and uh, and just to have great compassion for myself when I act out in all these various colors. Um, so, yeah, so what it was like, what happened, um, what it's like now. I, I guess I will say, I want to talk a little bit about my abstinence. Um, so I had maybe, it was probably the first two years, I had a really hard time sticking with my abstinence. And one thing that really helped me was this abstinence prayer that I found um, dated August 11, 2009. And this really, I, I remember 
this paper that I'm holding up that people on the podcast, podcast can see, it's purple, and it was a journal that I carried so much with me because I read the prayer throughout the day that um, it fell off the back of the journal, uh, but it was so fun to, to find it today um, next to my bed. So here's my, this is my absence prayer that really helped me get, today I've got nine years and however many months of um, abstinence from binging, from uh, exercise bulimia, and from restricting. And so my abstinence, when I moved back from Asia, it was right before Christmas time. I got abstinent a couple days before um, Christmas in 2009. And what kept me abstinent, um, aside from working the tools and sponsorship and sponsoring, was reading this prayer throughout the day on my knees uh, when I was able to. So, God, today is a new day for me, and with you it can be a new day of abstinence. With you I can handle anything. I ask for your protection today from anyone or anything that may interfere with my abstinence. I'm asking you now for your protection in case sometime during the day my desire to compulsively eat becomes stronger than my desire to abstain. I know that I am powerless over food and my life can become unmanageable again. I do believe that you will relieve my compulsion and restore my sanity. Please help me to know your will for me today and give me the willingness to carry it out. I turn my will and my life over to you. Amen. So I, I would say this. Yeah, probably a dozen times um, on some days when it, when I was shaky. And then I started getting the willingness to make outreach phone calls when I wanted to pick up and have that extra bite after a meal. Um, and my and, and the desire to, to drink was lifted too. And I, I, since getting abstinent over nine years ago, I haven't had probably more than two drinks in a day. Um, and that, that would be, I mean, especially pregnant, that would be a lot now. But um, when I'm not pregnant, I... We'll maybe have a glass of wine once a week or so. But um, that was what really helped me keep my abstinence was improving my my conscious contact with my higher power, um, working with sponsees rigorously, pouring into them everything that I had been given, and saying this prayer. And thank you. So 10 minutes more. Thank you. Um, The other thing that really helped me get that abstinence, um, get a strong foundation for my current abstinence was was praying before and after meals, and I was taught to say, just to take that God pause before a meal and say, hey, dear God, please let this be enough. Thank you for this food. I could say it silently if I was with a group of people, um, or I could say it out loud if I was with safe people. And then after the meal, you know, dear God, thank you for that meal. Kitchen's closed. Amen. <laughs> and then I could text someone, and I still will do that sometimes, um, with fellas in here, I'll text them and say, okay, kitchen closed for just for three hours. Okay, kitchen closed just for four hours. Okay, kitchen closed just till 6 p.m. Because sometimes, I don't want to stop. I'm still a compulsive eater. And it's a daily reprieve. And there are some days where I don't want to deal with the pregnancy discomfort. I don't want to deal with the discomfort around things coming up at work or with my toddler, whatever it is. And I just want to just, I want to be numb. I want to numb out. And food does that temporarily. And so there will be days when I, I still love that tool of just, okay, Thank you, God. Kitchen closed. And then the tool of accountability has been so powerful for me. <clears throat> could not do this without all of you. And um, that's another huge part of how I have my abstinence and how I got my abstinence was I would make as many outreach phone calls as I needed to to not pick up. And some days that would be making more than 10 calls. Some days that would be, but I, I would, thankfully, it's I'm more comfortable on the phone with people than I am in person. So, um, so that so using the phone as an outreach tool was was never an issue for me. So, but I just remember just 
being on, when I was maybe like a month absent, two months absent, I was back in LA. I couldn't believe I was back here. It was so surreal. I had sworn off LA when I moved abroad, and then God brought me back, and it was so humbling. I was living in the same apartment that I had lived in two years prior when I had had all this really uncomfortable stuff happen with, with um, guys I dated. And I was back there and having to just face it all and deal with it and heal. And I just remember just wanting more after dinner, um, especially late at night. And just I was living alone for the first time, and just I just remember just loneliness. And I had to get on my knees and pick up the phone and call someone and say, I really want to eat right now. I really want to go to Whole Foods and get all these really fun, sexy things. And I'm calling you instead, and I'm on my knees. How are you doing? You know, and just being vulnerable. And I'm so thankful I had that gift of willingness. And um, I'm, it, it is a gift. The gift of desperation is a real gift. And I've seen so, for those of us who have been in, in the rooms for for some time now, it, it's so humbling um, to, to still be here and to need it and to be a lifer. Um, and I've seen so many people come in and out of the rooms over the last 12 years. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And everyone has their own path, but for me, this is this is my path, and I'm just very thankful for a continued gift of willingness that does wax and wane. And um, I guess I'll, since I'm running low on time, I'll share what it's like today. Um, just to fast forward, so over the last gosh nine plus years of being abstinent, my life has gotten very big. Um, some of my favorite, dearest people have died. Some of my um, some men that I thought I would marry broke up with me. Um, jobs that I thought would carry me through and bring me this big career didn't turn out to do that. Um, I did meet my person in here and got to go through being engaged and um, get married and do all that absolutely, very imperfectly, but um, a messy, abstinence journey that was. Um, and that's been interesting. So sugar came back into my life when I started dating my now husband. And I had total freedom from sugar for the first, I don't know, six plus years of abstinence. I just didn't even want it. I just was on this pink cloud. And then when I met him, he started taking me to dinner. And I was like, I should, yes, I would love dessert. You know, yes. And, and then just since then, sugar's been back in my life. And it is a messy relationship. Um, but I was such a rule person. And it was, you know, black and white, you know, good, bad. If I do this, if I don't do this, if I run two hours today, I'm good. If I, you know, eat a grapefruit for dinner, then I'm good. You know, I just had all this weird, weird, weird distorted thinking um, that kept me in bondage. So I really had to lay down on my rules and have a very loose abstinence. I was encouraged to, to wear it like a loose garment, like this loose dress that I have on today. So I could, so I could live abroad. So I could go through... Um, love and babies and have a career and just this full life that I have, my abstinence is loose and I've been able to wear it through all of these amazing seasons the last almost decade. Um, so I, for me, I, I could never say no sugar, no this, no that, but that works really well for some people to have that clarity and those boundaries. But for me, um, I'm still learning a lot just as I even do the experimentation with some of these yellow light foods. Um, but it's, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, um, it's uncomfortable to be in the gray. I want to be in the black or white. So the extreme thinking for me, that is my normal state. So to live in the gray with all the colors that my life 
makes up today, um, it's it, it's good for me. It's uncomfortable. But yeah, today is what my program looks like. I, I I'm working this program. I at night I do a nightly ten step. Um, I always need to do that. I'm just I get so overwhelmed if I don't have pauses throughout the day. I need to pause in the morning or pause whenever whenever I can throughout the day. Pause at night. Just okay, God. What have I done well? Okay, what am I grateful for? Okay, what do I need to turn over? Because otherwise I just, that's when I want to get into the food, when I just feel too filled up with conversations and feelings and experiences from the day. Um, I'm just, I'm so sensitive, and I soak in everything. And I've just found that I really, I, I get to work this program one day at a time, and it helps me show up with serenity. And when I don't have serenity now, Oh, it is. I'm so I'm so aware of it. I mean, today I was feeling nervous in the afternoon, just getting ready to come here, and I was so I could feel it in my skin of just. And I just I, okay, God, I give this to you. Give me courage. Restore me to peace. I, I give you I give you all of this, and I just kept surrendering everything that was coming up because I, I I hate when I don't have my peace now, and I I know what it's like to have deep serenity because of working the twelve steps and because I'm not in the food. So that's such a gift. Um, I didn't even know what it felt like to have peace before I came to the rooms or even the first couple of years. I just knew that I wanted to be thinner and I wanted you to like me and I wanted all the cash and prizes. And But it's, you know, my higher power is so good because I got so many of the things that I thought I wanted um, before I came into the rooms and I was so miserable. And, all, you know, all the shiny stuff that the world says, you'll be happy when you have X. You'll be happy when you have X. And, um, and even now, now that I have the deepest desires of my heart fulfilled, I have got this life-giving relationship with the higher power. I love myself and accept myself. I have a husband that I adore. He's an extraordinary husband and father. I have a little girl at home who helps me understand how much God loves me because of how much I love her. And she's healthy, and we're healthy, and I have this healthy girl inside me that is coming in a couple months. I mean, miracles that blow my mind when I say them out loud. And, and yet, and yet, I need this program, and I need God more than ever. It's not like, okay, I'm fixed, now I'm good, now I never want to eat. Like, okay, now I'm so happy that, you know, I never want to pick up the extra bite, or like, okay, now I'm so comfortable in my skin, I never need to work another 10 step. I mean, it's like, you know, none of that stuff changed my insides. Um, but it really has blessed me and given me just a very rich, very full life that that I love. But and yet, I st- yet I still have me, and here I am, right? So, um, so I'm very humbled by my continued my. It, it's a daily reprieve, and um, how much time do I have? A minute, okay. Should we? And then no questions after that. Okay. So yeah, I'll just I'll just close by. Um, I'm so thankful to be here. I mean, God's will not mine be done. And, you know, for me, this program has, all, has been all about God and service and unconditional love and healing and transformation. And I am endlessly thankful that I have a new way of living, that I get to keep um, being on the journey with you guys all one day at a time. And I'm so thankful for my sponsor and my fellows and all my friends and my sponsees who are here. And just really, really, really thankful for another day of abstinence. So thank you all so much. Um, and just 
I just want to give all the credit to my higher power. God is so good, and he's been so faithful. And, and just for, for anyone who's struggling and is in the food, all all the stuff, all the mess, all the shame, all the everything I thought was so ugly and um, yeah, just stuff that I was just pounding myself on for years, It's what's been amazing to me is that not only has my higher power brought restoration to all of that, but there's been just endless beauty from all those ashes. And I can really see how God can use anything and bring good out of the darkest seasons that I had and the hardest seasons that I had. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe of God. So thanks for letting me share.